Hello, hello, and welcome to Sheep Thrills. Uh, this is Emily Lamb. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving break. I'm sorry that I was not on air last week, but I think, as with everybody, I needed a little bit of a break. Um, so I hope that you guys, you know, managed to survive a whole week without Sheep Thrills. But we are back in the studio. We've got three more weeks in the semester, and we've got a really exciting show tonight. Um, uh, I have two of my interns on the show uh, this evening, and we're going to talk about some of the kind of big issues that have been going on in the past couple weeks. Kind of going to do a little bit of an overview of what we think about what's going on in Congress, what's going on in the executive branch, and I just talk about everything that's been going on in the past couple of months and try to kind of put it into real life terms. So with that being said, I'm going to quickly let my interns introduce themselves. So Grace, would you like to introduce yourself first? Hi, um, I'm Grace Chanowski, and I'm a freshman journalism, or what am I saying? Freshman majoring in journalism um, here at GW, and it's good to be back. Uh, hello, my name is Ethan. I am a uh, political science major from Nashville. Um, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you guys so much again for coming on the show. I'm glad you guys are here again. Um, so, without further ado, we're just going to get started right on the first topic. Same thing we've been talking about for the past eight weeks. I think this is the this is the eighth show, so nine weeks technically. Um, it's Congress. There's been obviously a lot going on in Congress for the past several months, um, and we've got a lot coming up. So the first thing I want to talk about, obviously the Build Back Better Act was finally passed through the House a couple weeks ago, kind of against, not against all odds, we kind of knew that it was eventually going to pass through the House, but we didn't know kind of in what form it was going to pass. So we've finally done it. We've gotten it through the House. What do we think about how it happened, how it actually got there? Obviously, we had um, the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, doing his little like quasi-filibuster for several hours. I don't know how long do you guys watched any of it. I watched a couple hours and then got really bored because he was just saying the same thing over and over again. I was just getting very frustrated, so I just turned it off. Um, but what do you guys think about how it happened? Do you think that uh, it was like a genuine portrayal of progressive values? Do you think it's going to pass through the Senate? What do you think about McCarthy's filibuster? Just any kind of initial thoughts right off the bat. Um, well, sorry. Uh, I think first and foremost, I, I personally think that the whole magic minute thing that McCarthy used, um, while it's obviously within his rights in terms of the rules of the House, um, I felt like it was kind of pathetic, and I felt like there was really no point to it. Um, I don't know. It to me, it just kind of screamed at like the huge divisions and polarization that we have within Congress right now, especially across the aisle. Um, and yeah, I I just I didn't approve. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's very interesting. I was talking to one of my poli sci professors, um, kind of the couple days after that, that that Monday or Wednesday I don't even remember dates whatever time's a construct um, but I was talking to her about it and I was like what what was the point what was he trying to do right exactly. was he trying to um, like get his because uh, with, an, with an eight hour speech the only salient thing that the journalists or the public is going to pick up on is oh a guy made an eight hour speech right exactly. they're not picking up on any of those like big details of what we talked about which like you know, in so I don't believe that they are valid points, but in some universe they could be considered valid points. But you lose all of it by just kind of the, the, the pomp and circumstance of an eight-hour speech, right? Exactly, and that's what's so absurd about it is that he's, you know, I, I think in some ways kind of trying to steal the headline away from, like, this bill that has a lot of, you know, somewhat progressive stuff in it and instead making it about... The fact that this like Republican made an eight-hour speech, like you mm -hmm. said, and you know there isn't a filibuster in the House. We know this for a good reason, <laughs> exactly. for a very, very good reason. And you know, I'm sure that at that point, all of the Republicans could kind of tell that it mm -hmm. was going to pass. So, to me, like I said before, it just there was no reason for it other than pride. Right, that like last ditch effort. Exactly. I don't know. Did you, did you, Ethan? Did you watch any of it? Did you have any any thoughts? Uh, I did not watch any of the minority leader's speech. Um, you know, was clearly not effective. Um, he's obviously up there trying to, um, you know, present 
his list of reasons why he thinks the Biden administration and the Democrats as a whole are out to get us or whatever. But, the socialist agenda. You know, um, I guess when he's speaker in about a year from now. Um, <sighs> Knock on wood. Where is, there, to, where is there wood in here? <laughs> do whatever he said he wanted to do in that eight hour time slot that he took up. But, um, you know, for now, yeah. he's he's kind of powerless. Yeah, much definitely. more than talk. It was it was it was more of an airing of grievances than anything else. Right. Yeah. I think and I think you're right. It is kind of like setting us up for what's going to be happening in a year from now, a year and a bit from now, when inevitably uh, the Republicans <laughs> retake control. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, but I, I, I what was the other I was going to make some. And the, the, the other thing, I don't know. Again, I don't think either of you watched this. I was on C-SPAN all night because I'm boring. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the list of, or the, the Republican members sitting behind Kevin McCarthy all night, they like rotated out because they got bored. They need to go to the restaurant. Oh, exactly. And they were so, all of them just dead face, just bored out of their minds. And I was, you know, then if you look at social media and you saw what all the Democratic members were doing. They were like heckling Kevin McCarthy. They were like in the cloakroom just like hanging out. I just think that's such an interesting like dichotomy between Kevin McCarthy just trying to make this this extremely serious moment versus what kind of the rest of the political community thought it was, including journalists, including Republican members who just kind of thought, oh, it's just a joke. Right. Just this big joke and he's kind of like in, in some way I kind of felt like he was almost degrading the process, exactly. right? Like he was just not taking this process seriously and he was just using it totally as a, you know, an audition for speaker, right? Down the line. Yeah. Which by the way, like, is he even going to be speaker down the line in a year and a bit, right? Or is it going to be some kind of like Trump anointed um, person? Because Kevin or uh, Trump does not like McCarthy very much. Is, so. is, that, is that true? Yeah. There's, there's been, there's um, a lot of commentary at least that, this was kind of his audition, quote unquote, well, for speaker. That makes sense considering the last person to have a record that long for a magic minute was Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Um, but then let's yeah, let's let's think about what the difference is between what issues, right? Kevin McCarthy was was doing his magic minute on versus Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi was doing hers on on Dreamers, on immigration, like this really important. Right. piece of legislation. Obviously, exactly. Build Back Better is extremely, extremely important, no one's saying that, but, you know, he was basically doing a filibuster against universal pre-K, against decreasing insulin prices, just, exactly. you know, and that's, we're, we'll, we'll also get into this a little bit later, but um, democratic messaging, right? What are what are the Democrats going to be messaging around in the, in the midterms? We're going to, we'll get there again, but I just want to kind of tease that uh, idea as well, but Anybody have any, um, let's, let's move on from, from McCarthy and let's talk about um, where, where the bill goes from here, right? So the Build Back Better Act is basically reconciliation, obviously does not require a 60-vote um, majority in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So we're, we do have 50 votes in the Senate, so theoretically, right, any, for everything we want should pass, right? Right. So what are our chances now moving forward of the bill in its current form passing through the Senate, knowing what we know about the current makeup of the body. Well, uh, you know, you phrase it as anything we want to pass can pass, but um, the issue is is that, uh, at least as far as I know, nobody in this group is from West Virginia or Arizona. I wish. So uh, the problem for the Democratic Party is that anything that they wish to do has to go through those two members. Mm-hmm. Anything that those two members want are probably not going to be liked by uh, some other uh, more progressive members. Um, that the party as a whole would probably more agree with their way of thinking, mm-hmm. um, the progressive members, that is. Um, so, you know, really this comes down to mansion and cinema at the end of the day, uh, what, you know, they will be willing to pass, and it seems like they have two separate agendas uh, that are mm-hmm. harder to pin down than we originally keep thinking they are. So, really, uh, this House vote is, is pr- probably won't be the bill, not probably, mm-hmm. it definitely won't be the bill that is signed by the President. Whenever it's done, it'll be, you know, another round of negotiations. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I I feel basically the same way. I'm I'm sure that uh, the bill will pass in some form, but what kind of things get taken out um, mm -hmm. or added to it, that's that's kind of what's up for debate. I know that um, Manchin had a real problem with the four weeks paid leave, um, which, you know, that's something that I think so many average Americans would really like, and, mm -hmm. and that's, I think, from a more progressive standpoint, that's what's so... Um, what's the right word, I guess, demoralizing about negotiating with these centrist Democrats mm -hmm. is that um, a lot of legislation that, you know, seems overly generous to to more conservative people is actually, you know, deeply impacting the lives of, of everyday right. Americans. Yeah, so, um, I'm, you know, Biden has said that he's willing to sign it basically in whatever form it comes to on his desk, which is good to hear obviously <laughs> but also uh it means that he might be very willing to sign on to legislation that's far less expansive mm -hmm. than um progressive democrats wanted so yeah but i think i mean there's a lot of really important legislation in it regardless that will stay in and i mean if you're going to be optimistic then getting it passed through the senate is is better than nothing right so I, I tend to be in that camp of something is better than nothing, which is why, like, as a progressive, during this whole process, I was a little frustrated at the at the progressives, because I was mm -hmm. like, it, we, we need something. We need at least one win, right? Right. Um, and then, I, I, so I do think it's a good point. And then it's going to be very interesting, because I, I think you guys are right, that what the bill that the House voted on is likely not going to be the final bill. It's going to be very interesting to see who's on that conference committee. Right. Mm -hmm. So when that when those two groups are coming together to kind of like negotiate all those differences, it's going to be interesting to see if Pelosi and, and leadership kind of mm -hmm. nominate more progressive members or more centrist members or a little bit of both, because mm -hmm. um, that's really going to obviously that's going to be how it how it turns out is who who is actually the ones being represented in that conference committee. That's how right. it's all going to kind of shape out, um, which is it, it's and it's and it's so interesting to me that. We've been literally talking about reconciliation since week one of the semester. Mm -hmm. And now we're like finally at the finish line, but not really. But also, you know, government funding runs out on the third, but they're going to just do another continuing resolution and it's just going to go on and on and on. Right. right? And it's just it's uh, kind of brings me into the next next thing I want to talk about, which is um, are the Dems in disarray? Can we can we get any? I say we. Obviously, I'm referring to myself and the Democratic Caucus. I'm not putting anything on either of you. Um, but can, like, are the Democrats able to govern? Are they able to get anything done? Or is this kind of just the fact that we've been talking about this now for ten weeks, basically, just an indicator of the fact that the Democrats aren't good at governing in general, aren't good at governing in this particular climate? Like, what do you guys think about? how the how the Democrats have handled that that control of, of both chambers of Congress and the presidency over the past couple months. I think that Pelosi and Schumer have done excellent jobs of maintaining their respective diverse caucuses. Mm -hmm. I would say that. no, they're not in disarray. They're actually, you know, legislation takes a lot of time to get passed. This isn't the first time that a party with uh, uh, trifecta has had some struggle getting their um, legislation over the finish line. Uh, Obamacare took mm -hmm. um, a bit longer than this. Obviously, it's a different type of different type of bill. But at the end of the day, this is you know it's going to go through these negotiations. And the fact that we're having these negotiations, I think, is pretty healthy. I I disagree with a lot of the things that the more uh, Mansion wing of the party is wanting to uh, gut out of this bill. I think this bill needs to be passed in you know a way that is um, beneficial, um, that has the right amount of funding in it for the right programs. Um, but no, I think I I think the media would love for the Dems to be in disarray. It gives them more <laughs> things to talk about. It gives gives Jake Tapper more <laughs> more to talk about. But um, I think at at the end of the day, no party's fine. I think that's a good point. I think I, I truly believe this. I think that Nancy Pelosi, beyond her politics, beyond whatever, I think she's one of the greatest politicians of our time, maybe ever. I think she's just 
really good at what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do think that it's a very, it is a very unruly caucus, you know, in that, in that it's very diverse. There's a lot of different interests at play. There's a lot of different things going on. And she has, she has managed to work that pretty well in her favor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Being able to put together, you know, people like Pramila Jayapal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. and then people like Josh Gottheimer and Stephanie Murphy, you know, being able to handle a caucus of that size and being able to, you know, get them all on board with this legislation, you know, and Schumer as well. Schumer is a uh, Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, is someone as well who has done a, a very good job of handling his caucus. Uh, you know, we may hear a lot of things about Manchin uh, in the headlines, but, you know, at the end of the day, Senate caucus is a lot more united than I think the media would like to give him credit mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I think, uh, you know, there's obviously, like we're seeing in across the aisle as well, there's kind of this splintering yeah, off of the more moderate Democrats versus progressives, <coughs> like Ethan mentioned. Um, but <coughs> do I think that that means that our party is in disarray or my party in disarray? No. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's just politics. And mm-hmm. I think that um, there, especially after the passing of the infrastructure bill and hopefully the passing of Build Back Better, there's really... Uh, no reason to say that they're like failing because you know it, it takes a lot to pass that kind of thing right yeah I think that's and I think it's a really good point um you know the other thing I, I don't have that this information right in front of me I'm just I'm just recalling it off of um um a study I don't know if you guys are familiar with Punchbowl News but it's this new news publication it's actually a very good newsletter plug that whatever uh, but they did a, a a survey of Hill staffers and they basically said, like, who do you think is the best leader on the Hill right now? So, like, Pelosi, Manchin, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Pelosi was, like, far and away the top. And then down, down, down. Like, McConnell was, like, basically not on the list. Schumer was basically not on the list. Right. So it's very interesting to see kind of how that, that leadership is kind of playing out as well in terms of, like, who's coming to the forefront of all these negotiations. Wait, you said Schumer was not on the list? Schumer was low on the list. Mm. If like like it was it was Nancy Pelosi was like seventy something percent and then everything else like pretty significantly lower. Yeah. I think I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that no one was above one of the Republican leaders. But I don't remember which one it is, so I don't want to say it. But anyway, I just think it's interesting there that again like that splintering also within the Republican Party is right. very interesting. Um, we've seen a lot of that in the past couple weeks. I mentioned this before we went on break for Thanksgiving, um, but there's. 13 Republicans that voted yes on, on Build Back Better? No, on infrastructure. On infrastructure, obviously, yes. Thank you for, for correcting me on that. Um, and then again, there's Republicans all across the caucus who are saying, oh, you need to strengthen their committee assignments, which is like, I, I mean, I, I understand the need to keep the caucus strong, right? But then nobody is saying in terms of, obviously, it's a different situation, but in terms of infrastructure, nobody's looking at those six Democrats that voted no and saying, oh, you need to strip them of their committee assignments. You need to, you know, publicly shame them, right? So it's very interesting to see how the two different caucuses are kind of handling the, those two, like, different types of internal division, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah um, that's, like, really interesting to think about. I just think that... Um, Hold on, I'm like about to lose my train of thought. It's like going. Um, I just think that it's, I mean, senators and like Congress people, like they are there to vote. Mm-hmm. And so I don't understand, maybe I'm just, I need to do more research on the topic, but on a fundamental level, I don't see how one can tell, can can propose to like, like, strip people of their committee assignments for cert, like voting mm-hmm. a certain yeah. way and representing their constituents. Like, Absolutely. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think that's a, obviously I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, in, in, in the past, there's only been those kinds of like calls to, in terms of votes, it's been like, if you vote against the person who becomes the leader, mm-hmm. then that's when there's been like, oh, you need to strip them of their committee assignments. Because again, it's about like, because the strength of the party is kind of the strength of your agenda and the strength right. of leadership is the strength of your agenda. So you kind of, you understand where it's coming from, but then that kind of gets into, 
a broader conversation that we don't really have time to super delve into today, but it's a, it's a question of like the two-party system in general. Mm-hmm. And is it a good thing? Is it healthy for our democracy? In my opinion, no, because then we get into the situations where we have those two really, really strong caucuses. Um, and when you kind of go try to go between those caucuses, then that's when you kind of, you, you lose the, individual members lose the ability to represent their constituents in like a genuine way, right? Because they're more concerned with voting the party line than actually doing what their constituents want to do, right? All these representatives in in Northeast and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York, they need roads, they need bridges, they need tunnels, right? kind of desperately. They They all campaigned on it, right? So why can't they vote yes for it when it's a bill that's good? Well, I think that says, you know, that speaks a lot to the current climate of the Republican Party and the whole ideology that it's either Trump politics or Mm -hmm. you're not a Republican. Right. Um, And and I think that's why we see kind of such an inability to govern on McCarthy's part, because he's, you know, whether or not Trump himself likes McCarthy, a lot of the you know, people that he's leading really like Trump. And so he needs to appeal to everyone within his party, including the um, more left-leaning Republicans and the more Mm -hmm. conservative Republicans. So, uh, yeah, I I think that there's, like, kind of issues deeply rooted within the Republican side right now that make it pretty difficult to have any sort of... uh, discussion or real negotiation right and like why aren't we talking about it why is it obviously we know that the, the media is is kind of harping on the dems in disarray exactly because they're the ones in power mm-hmm. but like why aren't they talking about the republicans being in disarray i think you know again knock on wood there's no wood in this room i can't knock on wood there's this this is one. there we go this it's is under oh there. under there okay <laughs> um when when the Republicans retake control, I'm sure their narrative is going to be a lot more pervasive. Because they're, they're worried that if they talk about the Republicans being in disarray, what they're worried about is they're going to be accused of being the left wing media, which is what mm. they were accused well, they of are. during the Trump years. <laughs> no, I, no, I know what you mean. No, yeah, it's um, and that I think has a lot to do with it. That's interesting. Yeah, so they're they're kind of they're they're concerned with playing both sides. Yeah, as opposed to, it's yeah. like if yeah. any of y'all read that uh, news headline that got a lot of flack um, correctly, uh, I don't know if either of y'all read this, it was uh, said Trump seeking Michigan State House mm-hmm. Republicans to help him for 2024, and it yeah. was worded just as banal as that, when what that actually means right. is seeking state legislatures that could maybe vote to overturn right. results. Absolutely. I, I definitely saw that article as well. Very interesting, the way that things are being worded. And, like, you know, can't go easy on Trump now. We've had five years of going hard on Trump. We can't go easy on him now. Um, so the one last thing I want to talk about in terms of Congress specifically, and this kind of goes into our conversation about the current state of the GOP. The thing we've seen a lot in the past two weeks, two, three weeks, is various different Republican members saying or doing things that are just completely inappropriate for a workplace and then kind of either having repercussions or not having repercussions against them. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think about each of those different cases. Obviously the first one, the biggest one is um, Gosar. He was, um, what's it called? Censured. Censured uh, on the floor. Removed from his committees. And removed from his committee assignments. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, obviously she's done things over and over again. She was uh, removed from her committee assignments earlier in the term. And then um, most recently, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, she had said some really, really heinous things about Representative Ilhan Omar. Um, so what do we think? How, how should these kinds of situations be dealt with? Should they be dealt with? I think the answer is yes. But you know, what, 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 what kind of conversations do we need to be happening? need to be happening on the Hill and also like in national politics about this kind of discourse. So I, there's been a lot of debate about removing um, members from their committees. You know, I, I don't know how local Republican politics has changed uh, since this uh, particular 
instance, but um, I don't know if we all remember Steve King, mm -hmm. um, who was a congressman for Northwestern Iowa. And um, he uh, said something really racist and was, um, I believe, stripped of his committees and he ended up losing his primary uh, in 2020. He's no longer in Congress did now. He, did he lose his committees under Republican control? Um, I can't remember if it was the Democrats. I, I can't remember if it was Pelosi and the Democrats who voted to remove him or McCarthy ended up doing yeah. it. Um, either way, he was out of his committees um, and he lost his primary because if there's one thing that people hate more than being represented by someone terrible, it's being <laughs> represented by someone who doesn't have much power. <laughs> That's and very so true. Him being off of those committees was seen widely as the more effective thing in that election in Northwestern Iowa in 2020 than him having, you know, made his uh, comments. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I severely doubt that Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to face a primary challenge in 2022, at least a serious one. I doubt Paul Gosar is. I think mm -hmm. what has changed since then, and this was in 2020, so this was, mm -hmm. you know, at the height of a lot of this. But what I think has changed since then is the Republicans are more likely to put these people up front because they like that they're loud. They like that they mm -hmm. are going against the liberals or whatever. So, you know, people maybe aren't going to care as much that their committee assignments are gone, um, even though as a citizen, I think you, you do want a member of Congress who's on those committees. Um, okay. But, you know, I do think that the Democrats are taking the right call in removing these members from their committees. It's obviously uh, some of these members have threatened violence. Right. Um, so. do, do you think that the fact that these members likely, A, aren't going to face difficult primary or general challenges, and the fact that they're probably going to continue serving unless something forces them out redistricting or whatever. Do you think that that, just regardless of the fact that they're not on committee assignments and therefore like not really governing, do you think that's indicative of the fact that Congress doesn't, not to, not to be too blunt about this, but the fact that maybe Congress doesn't work anymore? Or do you think that maybe that's a little bit too broad of a stroke? Well, Republicans are clearly care, clearly care more about owning the libs than they do uh, governing, so. And that's, that's the line of the show? Yeah. 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 Um, my, I mean, I have a pretty similar take. I was very happy to see Gosar censured because mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, it's always a toss up with these things. You don't know. There was a right. lot of support for the opposite and, and, you know, people saying that it was just a joke and all that kind of thing. So if it were up to me, they would all lose all their assignments. They would lose their seat, frankly. Like, I, I just, I think that they're, it's, impossible for bipartisan legislation to pass when one side is like personally insulting the other side right. and i i have no doubt that democrats you know like we saw during mccarthy's magic minute they do a lot of heckling as well there's it's like both sides are guilty of it but right. in terms of these really awful disturbing things that's what we're seeing from the republican side and I don't know. I think that uh, I think that Ethan is right that you know people don't like to have their representative not have power. Um, but I also think that Democratic leaders know that if they are to take these people, you know, off of their committee assignments, that kind of furthers the whole narrative that the right is pushing of you know these like. Patriots being silenced mm -hmm. and like the Democrats not letting anyone have a voice and that kind of thing and like fake Shut news <laughs> Yeah, so it's a very very slippery slope because in some ways it kind of turns them into martyrs and, and mm -hmm. that whole thing. Yeah um, But also if the government were to work correctly then you know Getting rid of their committee assignments and all that stuff would just prevent there being this much of a problem in the first place but um it's a very slippery slope. I'm not. I'm not sure what the right thing to right. do is, but if it were up to me, like I said, I would definitely. I. They just can't be in Congress. Yeah. Excommunicated. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Gosar's video. Two things in that: uh, uh, killing uh, another member of Congress, mm -hmm. and then 
wielding a weapon at uh, the President of the United States. Um, both of those uh, extremely serious. So the fact that the fact that he hasn't, you know, been ex- expelled, frankly, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, wild to me. Yeah. Actually, it's yeah. not wild to me because of the state of the it Republican should be Party, wild. but yeah. it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, frankly, extremely upset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also another thing to think about is like, if uh, if the left were to ever do something of a similar mm-hmm. nature, mm-hmm. how would things change? Yeah. Especially depending on like, oh my God, so many factors. But it's just it's it's really sad and scary and also makes you realize that it's actually very hard to be these people and do their jobs Mm -hmm. like for AOC I cannot imagine what it's like for her to go into work every day knowing that people literally want her to die yeah people people who work next door to her not not crazy activists on the street like people that she has to work with every single day I can't imagine exactly yeah I do remember there was a story uh at the near the beginning of this congress where uh Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene um, said some things about um, Representative Cory Bush of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I remember she had to uh, right, Bush, Bush switched offices. You know, these, um, you know, it's serious. Uh, the fact that we have members of Congress who want to hurt other members of Congress right. is n- not great. <laughs> especially, it's also, I, I think it's especially astonishing. I mean, it's not. I think it's especially horrifying. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. all of the, this is being done against mainly young women of color. Yeah. Right? Like, that that is the target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just, it's it's heinous. It really is. And I think, Ethan, you made a really good point about the fact that the Republican caucus is centering those figures. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that, we don't, like, the, the Democrats aren't saying it. The Republicans are saying it. This is it's the future of the Republican Party. They're becoming yeah. stars in the MAGA base. Mm-hmm. And, um... And the um, and so therefore, the Republican caucus is responding to that uh, because they think that with a power, they think that by putting these people up front, they can excite their base. Right. Um, you know, and it's really troubling. Yeah. That that's that's they think that's their strategy. Ugh. Yeah. And that's and that is their their that's their twenty twenty two strategy, right? It's. Yeah. It going as extreme as possible, where like Democrats, like yeah, the party is going to to a to a pol- po- polarized, I guess, partisan place. But there's still, I guess, respect for the diversity of voices there. Yeah. Um, like there's frustrations between the moderates and the progressives, but they compromise and they work to, they work on it. And it's not as insane as where I think like if you are a you know if you're a moderate Republican member of Congress like Adam Kinzinger, like you're just there's no place for you in this party anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Really upsetting, right? Because then we're, we, talk, we talked about it's good to have healthy debate. It's good to have diversity within your caucus. It's good to, I mean, you know, it, you know, work together. One thing that I, I, I do believe is I, you know, for all the things we get upset at Manchin for, it's really good. I think it's healthy that we have someone who's a Democrat who represents mm-hmm. West Virginia, one of the reddest states in the country. Um, you know, if Republicans had more people representing, you know, the Northeast or wherever, I mean, that would probably be healthier for their caucus because it forced them to listen to more parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as you know, things have become more polarized as Congress as Congress has become more polarized. You know, I I think. At the end of the day, it's really healthy that we have a party that has both Manchin and AOC in it. Right. And, right. You know, and they, the Republicans, clearly don't want something that looks like our party, so they are scrambling to create um, their unified version of their party, and they're uniting around some truly horrifying ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to make sure the Democrats were portraying ourselves as a functioning alternative that passes good legislation, right, that exactly. creates good jobs, that fights, and inf- that's going to fight inflation, that's going to ha- uh, create good health care, and that's going to do all these things with the diverse caucus. And I think for all the media narrative, I think we've so far 
we're so far doing a good job. Right. Let's you know, let's just go right off of that. Let's like jump into a little bit of a conversation about midterms. A year away. Eleven months away. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Um, so you're right, exactly that. The the Democrats' campaign should be. We lowered the price of insulin. We created bridges, roads, tunnels. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at all these tangible things that we did. Um, will Democrats do that? Will that be their campaign strategy? Will they try to do that and then get derailed by stupid issues like critical race theory? Not that critical race theory is stupid, but the, the culture war around critical race theory is stupid. Um, and then how are the Republicans going to campaign, do you think? Are they going to, again, Luke talked about, are they going to run really far to the Trump right? Are they going to kind of be more moderate? What do you think the, the Democrats' chances are? Well, uh, maybe there's a better answer if... Um in a couple of weeks, Biden's tapped into the gas reserves. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, maybe we'll have a better answer once the gas prices have reacted to that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, um, imagining that the economy is picked up um, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Um, imagining that uh, the economy has picked up in 2022 and we're at a point where inflation has slowed down and gas prices are back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what the COVID situation is going to look like. That's right. also going to be That's a major a new player. variant that just came out, right? Yeah. Um, I imagine if I were in the, I imagine that the house is probably gone by now. Um, that's no matter what. Yeah. Um, people always are going to use the house of representatives as their way to, punish the party in power mm-hmm. and that's always going to yeah, be and that, how that's, it is. that's regardless of what conditions are mm-hmm. happening right that's just what happens the senate's a bit different because the senate you're more likely to have personalities who are able to weather certain storms so um you know i feel confident that congressional democrats are not going to run the mcauliffe you know mm-hmm. don't trump right or whatever um don't don't texas virginia yeah who came up with that who came up with that well republicans have been saying don't california my alabama for or similar things for years now so i mean we tried it it didn't did not work did not not work (laughs) did not fit on us uh we shouldn't have tried it Mm -hmm. but i i feel confident that the congressional campaign isn't just going to be a bunch of resist libs um (laughs) I feel confident that we're going to do a better job than than that. I feel mm-hmm. confident that we're going to have a pretty good strategy. Yeah. Republicans are probably... I imagine that the Republicans are going to have a pretty good strategy, too. I imagine that they have probably learned some good lessons from the Virginia election. Right. That they're probably... They're probably going to be able to balance Trump... And, you know, people who are like, oh, Biden's maybe a little bit too, too much for me, <laughs> a little bit too, you know, for all we talk about uh, Build Back Better, um, you know, we are going to face, even if it's great popular legislation, we're always going to face backlash for, you know, for things, you know, matter if it's popular or not. I think we obviously need to pass it because it's the right thing to do. And I think some voters will be there to reward us for that. Maybe it'll be delayed till 2024, but still. Oh, but, Lord. you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we just need to be prepared. I think both parties are going to have decent strategies, mm-hmm. though. Any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think that everyone, or specifically Democrats, are kind of ex- expecting a blowout in terms of uh, losing seats. Um, I don't know if I have like any kind of forecasts that are as specific as, as Ethan, but uh, I don't know. I think in general, uh, America turns out doesn't like productive presidents, you know, throughout history. <laughs> approval ratings of presidents who actually get stuff done are considerably lower than mm-hmm. presidents who do relatively little. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the hilarious contradiction about American politics is is when people are campaigning, it's always, oh, you have to do more, you have to do more. What if you don't follow through with this? And then when people actually do follow through, yeah, no yeah. one likes it. And, you know, people are mad about gas. People are mad about inflation. Um, and so I think that's just something about the Biden administration as a whole is that, you know, with with midterms, 
a lot of, of people were kind of sold on Biden in terms of this angelic anti-Trump. And I think that a lot of people who didn't do their research on both sides of the aisle are kind of realizing that no singular politician can can provide them of their like magical vision. Right. Um, and so I do expect that, you know, we're going to see some changes in in seats and all that kind of stuff um, in 2022 just because you know, that, that kind of perfect thinking can't really happen. I think Biden's, Biden's popularity is so low right now mm-hmm. that that's definitely going to, it's especially what, right. you what you're saying about the economy and, Pe- and inflation and everything, that's going to definitely contribute. People yeah. decide if they like the president, they look at the gas prices, yep. and then exactly. that's their yep. Yep, deci- yep. and that's how they make their decision. Biden was popular when he was at his most popular. It was at a time when gas was pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. So, um... You know, COVID's obviously going to mess the economy in various ways. That's going to do a variety of things, um, especially this new variant. Delta uh, seemed to hit right at a time uh, when we also, when Delta hit, what I'm trying to say is when Delta hit, we noticed the economy kind of got a little bit shakier. The economy as a whole looks like we're in for a pretty decent rebound. Right. Um, So I think we're going to be having a very different conversation in 2022. Uh, compared to in 2021, um, I mean, at this time, you know, Ronald Reagan, at this point in his presidency, was pretty unpopular. So, um, you know, it's always, things always change. So, you right. know. What's the, I always think about, like, what is the, the, the memory of a voter? When a voter is, is in the voting booth 11 months from now, are they going to remember how they felt right now at this moment? No. They're going to be thinking no, about. They're going to be thinking about. What the economy exactly on November second, third, fourth, whatever <laughs> they're going to be thinking about what the economy is at that moment. So Democrats need to work on building the economy because mm-hmm. that's the way they're going to build their votes. Right, build back better. I think uh, does a great job. Build back better. Um, yeah, I think that those are all really good points. Um, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to talk about a little bit more about the Biden and Harris administration. We're obviously not going to have super a lot of time to get there, but in a, a minute or two, thumbs up, thumbs down on the Biden Harris presidency. What are what are your what are your main takeaways now that we are officially one year in of uh, of of Biden Harris? Um, well, overall, not just the things we've talked about. Overall, yeah. Well, you know, like always, there's things that I wish were getting more attention that aren't. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, I mean, surrounding Kamala Harris, I think that's like something pretty important to address just because I think that one of the really strong parts of the Biden campaign was that there was this, you know, like really experienced legislator um, and then it was a very progressive like partner to mm-hmm. like, you know, guide guide him through that. And um, just from the research I've done, like, first of all, I, I can't remember the last time I saw Harris's name in a headline. Like, that's... Unless it was her buying an expensive pot exactly. in Paris. Oh, Lord. Yes. Yes. Oh, no. Or articles about her being unpopular. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Okay. Like, she, in terms of actual stuff that she's done, I, she's, it's very limited. Her power is limited. Mm-hmm. Aides in her office say that it's kind of a nightmare negotiating with Biden aides. Um, and, you know, all of that to me is really interesting just because I think when a lot of people uh, saw her elected as vice president, we were all thinking, okay, well, Harris 2024, right? right? Like right. that that was always the plan. The heir apparent. And, right. And so um, to see her kind of have her microphone taken away in a way, uh, it, it makes you think a lot more about, you know, Biden's run for reelection, which he has mm, committed multiple times to doing. Um, and that kind of thing. And then in overall, just in terms of like, rather than how they're doing as a team, but just in terms of action items, I think, you know, they, Biden took on the country at an extremely hard time. And, you know, there's things like the border that I think as myself, I, I would really like to see more action done. I think that there's been a slew of somewhat embarrassing comments made by the White House regarding it um, that kind of show that they're a little bit negligent um, surrounding, like, the whole issue with that. But, I mean, 
employment has gone down, vaccines have gone up, infrastructure build up better, all those things are mm -hmm. really big wins for the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, whether or not he's he's perfect, I think that it's it's a good accomplishment for the first year. Yeah, awesome. All good points. Uh, so to start with the Biden administration, I would say that they're doing a very, very good job. Um, and I say that because as this current moment, vaccination rates um, are much better than mm -hmm. they were uh, when he first took office. Um, the economy is much better than when he first took office. And, you know, we had... Um, I forget the name, but um, it seems like we completely forgot about it. what was the the first big COVID bailout bill, um, the, the American Rescue Plan, American Rescue Plan, um, yeah. infrastructure bill. You know, all, there's been <laughs> that a, did happen. Yeah, we did American, do that. Yeah, the American Rescue Plan <laughs> happened. Uh, the infrastructure bill. A lot of great things have happened under this administration um, so far, and I think um, you know there's more to come. You know, I really liked, you know. Biden has put us back on the world stage. We mm -hmm. four years we were the joke, and now we're actually back on the world stage. Um, you know, all of these we've actually done a lot in this past year. Uh, a lot of things have been accomplished. Um, media is obviously going to focus on arguments mm -hmm. on Build Back Better. You know, currently, um, you know, things like inflation and gas prices, which I I do think that the president is handling, uh, and I think that. Um, we're going to get out, uh, get out of that, because uh, I think that the administration has a good handle on a lot of those issues. Uh, you know, the vice president uh, talked about Harris. Um, I mean, the vice president usually doesn't do a whole lot. Um, Mike Pence did the Space Force, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, the the vice president's job is to, you know, the vice president's main job is to uh, be the assistant to the top assistant of the president. Mm -hmm. And so obviously there's a lot of things that Biden is giving Harris to do. I think one of them um, is kind of fixing a lot of uh, stuff with the border. Um, I think that was one of the big things that was handed to her. Um, not that she's singly responsible for anything right. that happens there, but um, you know, I, um, I'm not sure I completely understand why she's extremely unpopular yeah, uh, and that's something that the Democratic Party should maybe look into yeah um, uh, I think Biden will run for re-election in 2024 2024 will be a Biden Trump rematch um, oh God. Nothing I'm again. Um, and I I'm actually on team I want him to run for re-election oh interesting we'll have so, to get we'll, we'll get into that in the future um, episode I I'm a strong believer that he should and then 2028 will be Harris will not have a smooth sailing primary it'll probably be her Buttigieg maybe someone like AOC I don't know oh, um, that'll be fun that'll be fun something to look forward to yeah, yeah. so <laughs> all right you know. Yeah, all, all good points. I think something you guys both brought up, which is very interesting, is the role that the media is playing in, in, in popularity and everything else. Definitely something worth worth keeping a watchful eye of the way that things are covered, right, and how that's, how that's informing. Oh, absolutely. Even, even the media coverage just on approval rank, like ratings as a whole. I mean, mm -hmm. I have yeah. seen so many articles just talking about the fact that Biden has bad approval ratings over what's actually happening in Congress and in the White House. And I think that that's, I mean, it's 100%, it's vital for, pe for people to know what the country feels about the president. Mm -hmm. But if, is that news in <laughs> entirety? No, no. I, I would disagree. Yeah. All right, awesome. So with that, we're going to now do our, do our little rapid fire wrap up here of our little fun story of the week. Um, just one or two minutes talking about whatever story you kind of found at least at least marginally interesting and not depressing from the last couple <laughs> of weeks so Grace you want to go first? Sure um my funny story comes from uh the state of California this was two Fridays ago so November 19th and basically an armored truck on a uh, freeway just broke and uh cash was flying in the air and and <laughs> it was covering the highway and apparently it was mostly one dollar and twenty dollar bills but that didn't stop people from pulling over and uh sc scooping up as much cash as they possibly could and um a few people have been charged ever since 
but obviously the rescue attempts to get this money back are not super successful. Mm -hmm. And one funny anecdote that I wanted to mention was that uh, one couple that was, you know, caught stealing money uh, was caught because they accidentally locked themselves out of their car. No! Yeah. That's so, so upsetting. I thought that was kind Is of that... an embarrassingly, embarrassingly human moment. That's absolutely something that I would do. I'd yeah. be like, honey, run! Just go! Just, like, book you, it down the highway. You see your opportunity and you gotta run with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Alright, good one. Ethan, you're up. Um, I want to talk about uh, a decision that was made by a specific actor a couple of days <laughs> Maybe yesterday, uh, as y'all all know, Matthew McConaughey oh, has decided one. that he is not going to run for governor of Texas. And, Yeehaw! Hook uh, horns! And the reason uh, that this matters was he was polling weirdly well for someone who seemed to not know much about politics, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, goes to, I guess, show... I don't know what it shows, actually, but he will not be a candidate uh, in 2022, um... Yeah, it's certainly it certainly shows something. We're not quite sure yeah. what. Maybe maybe the, maybe the actor effect is starting to wear off. Prob- probably, politics. yeah, probably good news for Greg Abbott. Good news, good news for Greg Abbott. I'd good, say news, good news, yeah. for Greg Abbott. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. You think that he would have run as a Republican? No, or do you I think, think he, he would have taken run, Republican votes? Run as an independent, and honestly, I think probably split up. Democrats more than Republicans. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Oh, there are people split up. Um, he would have split up Republicans over the Democrats. Interesting. Or independents, I think. Yeah. Well, people are going to be doing thought experiments about what would have happened if Matthew McConaughey ran in Texas forever. Yeah. Oh, wow. It would yeah. be really interesting. Oh, oh, Matthew. Oh, Matthew. All right. Well, my story very quickly. My hometown. Um, of Chatham Township, New Jersey, recently had, because, you know, we do off-year elections for our town council and everything, um, the one town council seat, which was a very vitriolic race, very angry, people were very, very mad at each other on Facebook, which, of course, even though I don't live there anymore, I stay very up-to-date. The election came down to 20 votes, recounts, suing each other, all of this stuff, yelling matches on the floor of... uh, that again, the Chatham Township Council Chamber, which is like a room in the municipal center, like it's mm-hmm. n- it was not a big thing, but very very angry um, recount process. The Republican did win by twenty votes. Very interesting to see how how Chatham keeps swinging back and forth because we did have almost totally unified Democrat control in the in the town council for the first time that I could remember, and now we're the pendulum of the local politics in Chatham is starting to swing swing back. So, see a truck driver. He is not a truck driver, but oh, oh Lord, State Senator Sweeney, what are we going to do with you? (laughs) And with that, thank you guys so much for coming on today. It was so fun to have you. I hope you guys had fun to this conversation. And thank you guys all for listening. Uh, That is going to be all for us this week. Again, two more episodes left this semester before uh, we take our little break for the winter. But again, if you're interested in following the show online or searching for it on Spotify or anything, it is uh, Sheep Thrills Radio on Instagram and Sheep Thrills GW on Twitter. Going to post source links and everything else um, on Instagram and Twitter tomorrow. Spotify link will go up tomorrow. But with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a lovely rest of your week, and we will talk to you later. <laughs>